Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Thank you, Father, for your anointing today, your wisdom today, your leadership today to bring your people out of Babylon. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to continue with apostate church witchcraft Number four, and the first article we're going to call Separating from the Carnal Authority and System, and uh, I believe it'll be a blessing to you. Just hold in there. So, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, symbolizing the church in tribulation, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, as a corporate false prophet, usurped the authority of the true ministers of God. In number 16 and 1 on down, we read, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the congregation, called to the assembly, men of renown. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Well, there you have a faction rising up, taking authority that's not theirs against the ordained leadership. And this has happened in the denominations, and it's happened in the most recent factions, you know, uh, even worse, because there's a lot of witchcraft mixed in with it and everything. At that time, as in our time, the extent of the apostasy was so great that almost the entire congregation followed these false prophets. And uh, 16 and 19, and Korah assembled all the congregation against them, that is, the true ministry, unto the door of the tent of the meeting. In the Gospels, the God-ordained authority was Jesus, the man-child, and his disciples, the two witnesses, those whom Jesus said were sons of their father, the devil, and from beneath usurp the authority of the true ministers of God, and so it is in our day. The Levites were the God-ordained ministers of the sanctuary, and Aaron, as high priest, was a type of Christ. And Korah was a Levite and an ordained minister of God, but he sought to usurp the high priest's office. 
and 16 and 8. And Moses said unto Korah, Hear now, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And that he hath brought near thee near, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the high priesthood also. I, of course, I added in because that's what he's talking about. High priesthood also. The Levites were already priests, so God was speaking here of usurping the high priesthood. And therefore, thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. Yes, they were, and yes, they have been. So, uh, each believer is like the tabernacle in the wilderness. We have a holy of holies, which is our spirit, a holy place, which is our soul, and an outer court, which is our body. And anyone other than the high priest entering the holy of holies had the sentence of death upon him. The only one permitted to rule in our spirit is our high priest, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3. <clears throat> and of course, he rules by his word, right? So this teaches us that um, a minister is not to take the place of Christ in our life. He is to make disciples of Christ and not of himself. This is what happened here, you see. He has authority only when he is in obedience to the Word, who is Christ. A minister who is uh, leading God's people astray from the Word is usurping the place of the high priest, Christ. Korah represents one out of three end-time apostate ministers who, uh, though ordained, will turn against our high priest, Jesus to claim their own authority. And since Dathan and Abiram were not Levites, they were not ministers ordained of God, but ordained of themselves and men. And according to the percentage uh, represented here, two out of every three ministers who go their own way uh, in the tribulation are not ordained by God but man. History has always supported this claim, but it has never proved more than today. It's so very obvious. Jeremiah 23 and 20. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, until he have performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you shall understand it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sent not these prophets, yet they ran. I spake not unto them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then had they caused my people to hear my words and had turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Even a brief examination of the conditions for office in the New Testament would exclude the majority of ministers for instance, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 10, Titus 1, 5 through 9, and 16, 
Acts 1, 4 through 5 and 8, uh, Mark 16, 17 through 20. No one was ordained to go until they were filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way that they were first ordained. Jesus told them to tarry in Jerusalem until they were filled with the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. So, you can see, the overwhelming majority of preachers are not ordained and have no business in the pulpit. So God separated his true people from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Number 16, 23. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So he's telling us the same thing today. Pay attention. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all of their sins. So in Jesus' day, all the disciples came out of the apostate denominations of Judaism to follow him. True disciples still come out of apostate Christianity to follow Christ. The man-child will bring the same message to those who are fellowshipping among the apostate church in the coming days. Revelation 18 and 4. Come forth, my people, out of her, that you have no fellowship with her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. Well, notice that to spiritually come out of Babylon is to depart from her sins. The massive sins, I believe, are about to be revealed um, concerning real high-profile preachers and things. And the people in the world are going to see that, that we are in apostasy, that the church is in apostasy. Those who did not come out were judged, along with their Babylonish teachers. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households, and all the men that appertained unto Korah went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed upon them. Remember, this was their sins that swallowed them up. What happened to our faction? Their sins swallowed them up. And this was number 1632 through 33. So notice in uh, verse 26, they had to come out or be consumed in all their sins. Uh-huh. That's what happens to every factious person uh, with witchcraft, by the way. Not just the normal faction of the denominations, but much, much worse. Uh, they all fall into very corrupt and evil sins. And here, those who didn't, the earth swallowed them alive. Hmm. And according to Genesis 2 and 7, the earth and our flesh are one. To be swallowed alive by the earth, our flesh, is to be consumed in sins. All that follow the false prophets will be consumed in their own fleshly lusts. We all know Christian leaders whose hidden sins came to light. The New Testament Korahs and Balaam's 
uh, are hidden among us, but they are uh, dead while they live. Judges one eleven. Woe unto them, for they went in the way of Cain and ran riotously in the error of Balaam for hire, their hirelings, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are they who are hidden rocks in your love feasts. When they feast with you, shepherds that without fear feed themselves. Oh, they do. They, they get fat and healthy on uh, what they plunder the crop, the, the flock with, right? Clouds without water. Absolutely. Cry, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead and plucked up by the roots. And that, of course, means twice born, right? They are twice dead, meaning born again and died again. And plucked up by the roots, meaning removed from being a member of the body. And though they are still hidden rocks in your love feasts. Amen. In God's eyes, they are dead while they are living. In 1 Timothy 5 and 6, it says, She that giveth herself to pleasure is dead while she liveth. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram went down alive into Sheol. Number 16, 30 and 33. Because they cared more about feeding their lusts for leadership than keeping their own rightful position in God. And the falling away of the factious into their lusts have identified many of these people in our day. When Jeroboam was king of the northern ten apostate tribes, he was afraid that his people would go to worship in the ordained temple at Jerusalem. And in so doing, stay and serve the king of Judah representing Jesus. He decided to make uh, the two golden calves and their altars in Bethel and Dan for the people to worship at. Jeroboam and his people were serving another Jesus. The golden calf was the Egyptian god Apis, who was called the Creator. Yes. In other words, they were worshiping the God they knew in the world before they ate the lamb and came out of Egypt. So, and I noticed that a lot of people who fall into faction go back to their old, very stupid religions, very foolish, backslidden doctrines and everything, and worse. Well, many Christians are worshiping a Jesus that is acceptable to the world and the flesh. He's not the true God, but an imposter. Jeroboam and his apostates were also making priests, ministers, in other words, who were not Levites in 1 Kings 12 and 31. And this tells me that in uh, ten of the twelve tribes, the ministers were not ordained of God, but men. That's exactly what has happened in the church today. Ten of the twelve spies brought an evil report and died in the wilderness because they made the congregation to speak against the Lord. That's what they do. Numbers fourteen thirty-six through 38. 
God sent a young prophet to prophesy against the altar in Bethel. Bethel in Hebrew means house of God. Of course, at this time, it was a false house of God because the true house was in Jerusalem. So at that time, the king was standing at the altar offering incense before the people. And when the prophet prophesied against the altar, the king stretched out his arm and pointed his hand at uh, the prophet and told his men to seize him. At that moment, the king's hand dried up and he could not draw it back. The altar rent and the ashes poured out, which the prophet had prophesied would happen. The sign came to pass right in front of them all. This uh, obviously symbolized that God did not accept their sacrifices in this place of apostasy. The king asked the prophet to restore his hand. So the prophet prayed, and the Lord healed him. And as a result, the king wanted to take the prophet home and reward him. 1 Kings 13 and 8. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thy house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord. Well, this is perfect advice for many today. Well, what was this place, quote-unquote? It was the place where God's people were in apostasy and where their leaders were not ordained of God. It was an apostate religious system, much like we have mostly out there today. Uh, we are forbidden to eat bread in such a place. Any bread that we would partake of in such a place would be a false Jesus or word. Jesus is the bread of life. John 6 and 48, which is the Word, John 1 and 1. Um, and John 5, 6 and 51 says, I am the living bread which came down out of heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. This bread of the Word of God is eternal life. <clears throat> Jesus said to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven changes the bread, which is the word, to make it more acceptable to the flesh. Mm -hmm. Neither should we drink water in the places of apostasy. Their water represents a false spirit formed by a false word. Jesus commanded us to come unto him and to drink of the living water of the spirit through the scriptures. John 7 and 37. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, from within him shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him were to receive living water. Without this, any spirit we might exhibit is a different spirit, as Paul called it. 
the prophet was obediently leaving those backslidden people so as not to be defiled by them. If uh, a prophet could be defiled by them, by eating in their presence and drinking in their presence, what about you and other people who are sitting there listening to that dribble day after day? In this city of Bethel, there was an older prophet who had evidently been defiled with their lying spirit. He heard what the young prophet did and sought him out. 1 Kings 13 and 15. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said unto me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I also am a prophet, as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thy house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him. This big mistake cost him his life. And did eat bread in his house? and drank water. The young prophet falsely believed that God had changed his word that was originally given. Uh-huh. You've heard of that before, right? And so ate and drank of the apostate word. And many old false prophets today are imparting the same lying spirit. They've changed the word which has no power to bring eternal life. Judges 1 and 3, I was constrained to write unto you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. Of course, that was Jude. Uh, Jude 1 and 3. And today, many without scriptural foundation tell us that after the apostles, God changed what he had called an eternal covenant. Now, why would he do that? So this lie has robbed the church of its power by replacing the true bread and water with their own and a bunch of dead preachers with no power. Daniel and his three friends would not defile themselves with Babylon's food as in Daniel 1, 5 through 16. After refusing Babylon's food, they were said to have ten times the wisdom and understanding of those who did eat of it. Daniel 1, 17 through 21. They also were the only ones that did not bow down to the image of the beast. Daniel 3, 12 and 18. Babylon's version of the golden calf, right? Yeah. The young prophet was deceived into a modern gospel. 1 Kings 13 and 20. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back, 
And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Forasmuch as thou hast been disobedient unto the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread, and drunk water in the place of which he said unto thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water, thy body shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. Well, the Lord tried the young prophet, but he was said to have not kept the commandment of the Lord, which was synonymous with partaking of apostate spiritual food. He lost his life in that place, as many do today. The old prophet of God spoke a lie for personal gain. That place had leavened him, and he was now a false prophet. And I spell that P-R-O-F-I-T. We have to respect the Word of God so much that nothing or no one will be able to turn us away from it with another Jesus. We have to always be on guard, for even uh, vessels of honor can sometimes be used as vessels of dishonor to try us. And when the young prophet left, a lion met him in the way and slew him. 1 Kings 13 and 26. It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the mouth of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord. So the lion was given permission from God to kill the one who ate the apostate spiritual food. You got that? 1 Peter 5 and 8. The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. May is used here because the devil must have permission to devour. He is ordained to devour apostates. The penalty for the young prophet's apostasy was that he would not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. Spiritually meaning, he was not joined with his fathers in death. Therefore, he would not be among the righteous in the resurrection. The one who partakes of a false word from the false prophets will lose his life by the devil and will not be among the righteous in the resurrection. Revelation 22 and 18. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto them, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life. This should make so many of the preachers out there shake in their shoes because they've made all kinds of reasons why they can depart from the Word and why that all passed away with the apostles and blah, blah, blah. These are apostates. Come out from among them. Don't eat their bread or drink their water. Galatians 1 and 8. But though we or an angel from heaven should preach unto you any gospel other than that which we preached unto you, let him be anathema. 
The Greek word there means cursed, devoted to destruction. It fits, doesn't it? Okay, this is a revelation uh, given to Chuck Asagata. Uh, we called it False Churches Fall. Uh, it was from 11 5, 21. I dreamed that I was in a building on the first floor that had the appearance of an amusement park or a Chuck E. Cheese, which is an American type of Babylon, he says, uh, family entertainment center and pizza restaurant. However, the place was now a church building. <laughs> so here's where God places much of the church in something just like this, a very Babylonish institution. So the building uh, description is that of the worldly Babylonish church where Christians play church while being entertained and fed a mixture of fleshly pleasing doctrines and teachings and not the real gospel that saves. I was there with a group of people some being from our local UBM body and one person's presence in particular. I believe that was Leon. Leon means lion. <laughs> he had the lion with him. Some of the others in the group I did not recognize. I looked up and I could see the second floor, which was a room for smaller children. I was able to see the room through a protruding balcony and it looked like some of the balconies they used to have at uh, McDonald's restaurants where children could play and look down to see what was going on. Well, most of the church has degenerated into a playground for children who never grow up and whose leadership are likened to a clown whose spiritual food makes sure that they never do. Yes. I went up to the second floor. Well, let me say that the soul, which is the mind, the will, and the emotions, is identified as the second floor in many dreams. And entered into a room where I saw Zoe, and I... Notice, that was their little girl, that there were certain elements of the play place which had been left behind. I thought that was significant. Their, their fantasy is that they will be raptured while the rest are left behind. I would describe the elements as cables where they used to have soft play hanging foam cylinders for kids to play with. And I saw the balcony that I had been looking up at from the first floor and decided to walk onto it. And, and when I did, it began to move. Okay, remember, this is likened unto the soul. Um, it's an unstable foundation here, we can see, for the soul because it never grows up into the mind, will, and emotions of Christ. They don't even think that they are ordained to walk in the steps of Christ. They're not taught that. 
I went towards the very front of it to test it further, and it fell down and crashed while I was still on it, representing a falling away or losing their position in the heavenlies as a son of God, uh, a falling away of their soul, their mind, will, and emotions. Thankfully, I had no injury and found my way out of it, and I tried to lift it back up. And as I was lifting it, there were others there helping me to lift it, and we were able to raise it back up again. Ah, but pay attention here. Jeremiah 51, 6 through 10 says, Flee out of the midst of Babylon and save every man his life. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for it is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense, because why? She is guilty of the blood of the saints. Verse 8. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. There it is. Wail for her. Take balm for her pain, if so be that she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her, and let us go everyone into his own country. Some people stick behind because they think they can save that thing. You can't save that thing. For her judgment reacheth unto heaven, and is lifted up even to the skies. The Lord hath brought forth our righteousness. Come, and let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. There you go. Come out and go to Zion. We attempted to secure it in order to prevent it from falling again. However, it was no longer suitable for mounting as the wood was dry, rotted, and crumbled. Well, dry rot is caused by a fungus, a leaven, so to speak, that digests part of the wood, which uh, gives the wood strength and stiffness. And this could be the apostate church religious works of wood, hay, and stubble, now decayed and can't support the test of weight of the trials that people get themselves into. We were still trying to make it work, although I knew in my mind it did not look good. Nope. Forsake her. Leave her. We would have healed Babylon, but she would not be healed. Uh, I left the place and saw a gas station and went over to it. Well, that's a place where you should find fuel to propel your vessel forward, right? You would hope so if you leave a Babylonish institution, but they haven't quite gotten out of there yet, looks like to me. When I went in, I noticed a completely bare section on the right, and there was a mother and her children crouched down picking up some items from the gas station that I suppose they were going to purchase. So I went towards where people were in line to purchase their items to look for something, and I noticed that the area where they normally have the styrofoam plates only had scraps of food there, but no plates. 
so I left. Well, that's meaning no food and nothing to feed the soul or even serve the food with. And when I went outside, I saw a man driving his boat mounted on a trailer in the street. Driving his boat mounted on a trailer in the street. He somehow rigged the boat and the trailer and made it into one unit uh, to be able to be driven uh, in the street. I then heard the man say, Who said I can't drive my boat on the road? <laughs> well, it doesn't fit, does it? And that's what they do. They, they make doctrines that don't fit to do their own pleasure. Boats are designed to move on water. And the apostate church is traveling without the water of the word and creating another way. There is only one way. It's Jesus' way. So Winnie asked the Lord for a couple of verses by faith at random and received Jeremiah 52 and 17. And the pillars of brass that were in the house of the Lord and the bases and the brazen sea that were in the house of the Lord did the Chaldeans break in pieces and carried all the brass of them to Babylon. So the Chaldeans, of course, were the Babylonians. Their vessel was conquered by Babylon and was deemed more valuable than the water. The vessel was deemed more valuable than the water inside of it which doesn't make a bit of sense if you know what kind of water is the right kind of water. And uh, it was no longer capable of holding the water of the Word. Now, that's this is identifying what these Babylonish teachers are. They're not capable of being a vessel of the Word of God. Verse 20. The two pillars, the one sea, and the twelve brazen bulls were under the bases, which King Solomon, that's the Prince of Peace, Jesus, had made for the house of the Lord. The brass of all these vessels was without weight. So now they had made the brass the important thing, the money thing of the world, you know. But, the water was the important thing, and it couldn't hold the water anymore. And they can't. They can't hear you when you speak the truth. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you can't hear me. Luke 22 and 26, uh, 24 through 27 in context. Uh, this was another text that she received. And there arose also a contention among them, which of them was accounted to be the greatest? And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles have lordship over them, and they have authority over them, are called benefactors. This is, of course, false, because Jesus is the benefactor, and all we are brethren, right? But you shall not be so, Jesus said, but he that is greater among you 
let him become as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For which is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth? Is it not he that sitteth at meat? But I am in the midst of you as he that serveth. So in Babylon, the leaders are not servants, but are lords. You obey them. They're not pointing you to obey Jesus and the Word of God. They're pointing you to obey them. I also asked the Lord for a couple of texts by faith at random and received. Well, first I'm going to address what this is. The Babylonian siege and desolation of Jerusalem. The apostate leadership of God's people, which in a parable is coming in our day. And here's his text. Ezekiel 5 and 3, 1 through 6 in context. And thou, son of man, take thee a sharp sword. As a barber's razor shalt thou take it unto thee, and shalt cause it to pass upon thy head and upon thy beard. Then take thee balances to weigh and divide the hair. A third part shall thou burn in the fire in the midst of the city. He's talking about people here now. And when the days of the siege are fulfilled, and thou shalt take a third part and smite with the sword round about it. And a third part thou shalt scatter to the wind, and I will draw out a sword after them. Notice it's people, not hair. The hair was a symbol. And thou shalt take thereof a few in number, and bind them in thy skirts. And of these again shalt thou take, and cast them into the midst of the fire, and burn them in the fire. And therefrom shall a fire come forth into all of the house of Israel. So now we see what the hair is, right? Apostate Israel, or the apostate church in our day. Right. And thus saith the Lord, uh, This is Jerusalem, and I have set her in the midst of the nations, and cunt- countries are round about her. This is, of course, the apostate leadership over the apostate church. <clears throat> and she hath rebelled against mine ordinances, and doing wickedness more than the nations, and against my statutes more than the countries that are round about her. For they have rejected mine ordinances, and as for my statutes, they have not walked in them. Okay, here's another text. I'll just preface it with this. The apostate leadership in Jesus' day foreshadows our day. Matthew 3, 7 through 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said unto them, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruit worthy of repentance. Amen. A good message for our day. So we got this one. Ben Slayushki. Uh, we called it Come Out of Her, 11, 20, and 22. A good revelation. 
And of course, uh, Ben is an actor here. So is his grandmother in this this play. <laughs> so you'll see what I'm talking about. Revelation 18 and 4, I'm going to share first. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come forth, my people, out of her, that you have no fellowship with her sins, that you receive not of her plagues. So many of us came out of Grandma's old church house and considered it pretty dead due to not being very scriptural. And Ben and Grandma are acting uh, the part here for this play. I was back in Baba's, that's Grandma's, old house, and she was getting evicted, (laughs) meaning we all had to gather our stuff and leave. I was sitting in the top floor room thinking about old memories of the house. And we all have memories of those houses, you know, that we went through back when we were young, right? That mostly are dead. When all of a sudden, the police abruptly opened the door and said, you're getting evicted. You have five minutes to gather your things or it all stays here. That's pretty rough. Nothing in the house really belonged to me, but I could only think of two things to pick up. There was a really nice wardrobe that was really well taken care of that was tall and had a a nice heritage look to it. She also had a small tube TV that was full of dust that I didn't think was very valuable, but thought maybe I could get a few bucks for it, and I decided to leave them where they were and think about it because I didn't have anything to lift the wardrobe with, the thing that I wanted, right? So he couldn't take anything with him out of that place. Hmm. Sounds familiar. I decided to go pick up my sister, Megan, so that she could be there on the final day. And as I was driving back to the house, I told her I was thinking about picking up the wardrobe, and she very rudely said, It's garbage. Don't bother. (laughs) Yes, true. And when we arrived back, I had to dismantle this cheap aluminum coat rack in the hallway in order to get it out of the house. The rack fell into pieces the moment I touched it. So nothing was leaving that house and nothing could be used to rebuild the kingdom anywhere else. Hmm. I looked in the next room over and there was a Hindu lady sitting on a dining chair. She was going to be the new owner of the house when my Baba left. The Hindu lady noticed that the rack had broken and was very argumentative and angry about all of us still being here. Yep, you know, I'm telling you, when the old churches in many historic places uh, were taken over, in some countries, uh, governments took them over, different things, you know, uh, took them over. They were not even used as churches. And sometimes they were restored later on, but still they're dead churches. I decided to ignore her because she was being very mean to all of my family. 
uh, who were packing. She wanted us out faster. As I was ignoring her, I noticed that my Baba was being escorted out by two police officers. And I'm going to tell you who I believe these police are. They're the ones that God sent to evict the church from their Babylonish institutions. And you're not going to believe it, but it's probably the beast. Okay. And all I was thinking was, Baba is a very old lady. Why do they feel the need to escort her out like a criminal? She was using a walker, getting out of the house, and wouldn't look at me straight in the eye as we were leaving. We went outside, and the whole family was there, uncles, aunts, and all my cousins. They were all on some sort of huge flatbed truck and were sitting on a bench that was in the middle of it. They were very excited to see Baba, but I was very sad and worried about what would happen to my Baba. And as she was struggling to come down the stairs, my dad threw the walker aside and said, I'll take care of this, and he guided her to the passenger seat, and I felt a lot better. She waved goodbye to all the neighborhood kids. The dream ends with the truck starting and all of the neighborhood kids running into the forest (laughs) that was beside the house. Well, I believe Grandma's house represents the old apostate churches. Uh, Their worthless furnishings represent that there was little of of the kingdom value there and it was pretty much a social club. The law wanting everyone out of it so quickly represents that the law of God is about to judge all who do not come out from among them and return to Scripture. The beast is going to treat those who do not come out very roughly. The kids represent the immature members of the apostate body, Their flee into the wilderness represents them fleeing from the judgment of God's law into the tribulation. Mm -hmm. Well, here's part two. Come out of her part two. Yeah, Ben had another one here on 12-4-22. He said, my dream starts in the living room of my mother's, grandmother's old house. Another grandmother. Oh. Okay, we had to build her a new TV stand to replace the old one. And I was thinking how ridiculously big this new TV stand was and wondered why she would need one so big. Well, I think we'll find uh, that it's an addiction to the world view. Uh, The old uh, dead institutions are very worldly, uh, very earthly, and so on. There was a bit of a rush to get it done, so we were all helping her build it for a big reason because she needed the space. My stepfather told me that she needs somewhere to put all of the cookies that she has. To my surprise, she had mountains of boxes of cookies in the hallway. It was quite disgusting how many 
there were, and I said to myself, there is no way that she needs or is going to eat all of these cookies. And as I was looking at all the cookies, I noticed that they were all maple cookies that were in the shape of a maple leaf. Well, the that's the symbol of Canada, where Ben lives, and the Canadian flag is called the maple leaf flag. So they, of course, have the same trouble as we in America, many apostate churches. Uh, what caught my attention was uh, the maple leaf. I think something might happen in Canada regarding quantities of food not being accounted for and hidden from the public. Well, that is true in the letter, I guarantee you. Uh, but let me say, spiritually, the old church has hidden the true food of God's Word from the people. Okay. I believe Grandma's house, again, represents the old apostate churches. And the large TV stands uh, represent a desire to only see and hear the worldly rather than the spiritual. And the mountain of cookies represents an appetite for the sweet doctrines which please the flesh rather than those which crucify the flesh and are spiritually healthy. If you don't lose your life, you won't gain your life. You must lose your life to gain your life. And they don't want to lose their life. Therefore, they give them plenty of sweet doctrines, you know, that make them feel comfortable where they are. But the, the background to these religions, folks, and all religion, is spirits. They would keep you trapped in these religions so that you don't grow up. It's demons. Okay, according to his will, Samuel 5, 315, 23. Amen. I saw how, how the lost only know evil. They have yet to be given the measure of grace from our Father. As God ordained and set before the foundation of the world those who are to be vessels of honor and dishonor, and so they do not know what they do. Uh, N-E-N-T, uh, Luke 23 and 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And parting his garments among them, they cast a lot. Mm -hmm. Romans 8, 29 through 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he also foreordained to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he foreordained, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And also Romans nine thirteen through 15 says, Even as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I saw a half-eaten apple, just as only part of the fruit was eaten, and not finishing it, the core was discarded. The part which they ate 
was only that of evil and not the good. The inner part, the core, was not palatable and didn't please the flesh, and it was thrown out, not knowing that the inner part of the fruit and the seed are extremely more healthy. Yes, and the seed is the word to repeat itself, right? So, I see the parable. It fits very neatly. So, eating the inner part reminds me of eating the inner parts, the heart of the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12. And it says, 8 through 11, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roast it with fire, its head with its legs, with the inwards thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, but that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire, and thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And, of course, they had to leave Egypt quickly. Surprisingly, only with the blessing from the Father can anyone have knowledge and wisdom of eating anything, especially the spiritual, uh, in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As only part of the measure uh, from Father God has been poured out on the vessels of a dishonor, they can only have that part until further receiving understanding and perception of its word and truth. Well, just let me say, the, the knowledge of good and evil brings condemnation to the natural man, as Adam and Eve were. And before that, they were naked, but innocent, for they have no knowledge to condemn them. James 4.17 says this, To him therefore that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So the knowing to do good is the thing that causes the sin, right? Romans 5 and 13, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed or not accounted. Uh, when there is no law. Okay. So the law comes in, as it, the Word says, and makes you a sinner. Romans 4 and 15. For the law worketh wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there transgression. So the spiritual man is commanded, listen, is commanded to receive the knowledge of good and evil. Because he has the capacity to be obedient and to grow with this knowledge into the image of Christ. Therefore, he must lead, we must lead our life and not the flesh. The spiritual man must lead your life and not the flesh. The New Testament is the knowledge of good and evil, and it was given to the born again man and woman of God. So therefore, God is saying the very opposite about the born-again man who is capable, right? Well, um, 
Thank you, Father, for this. We uh, praise you and we thank you. We ask, Lord, that we come out from among them in everything. None of that is usable in the real church. It all just has to be left behind. It's trash. And uh, their whole system is trash. And it has to be left behind. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Don't touch the unclean thing. I will be to you a father, and you shall be to me sons and daughters. Amen. God bless you, saints. Michael Hare's coming now. He's going to share a word with you. God bless him and bless all who are listening and have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, saints. Good to be back here with y'all. And uh, let's go to the Lord to ask his uh, grace upon us to give out this word. Father, in the name of Jesus, that's what my prayer is, is that this word of yours would go out and be a blessing, Father, to all that are listening. And I thank you, Father, that it will raise our faith level up into a way that would make us walk into the the realm of uh, your kingdom, Father. And I thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, the word is anointed. And when it goes out in the correct way, it brings results. And I praise you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. To your glory, Lord, let this go on go out in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk about our words. Our words matter. That's what I've titled this. Let's start out James chapter 3 and verse 2. For in many things we all stumble. If any stumbles not in word, the same as a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. So on our way to walking in this maturity, we have to learn not to stumble in our words, what we speak. We have to learn to agree with the word of God. Verse verse 3 of James 3 says, Now if we put the horses' bridles into their mouth, that they may obey us, we turn about their whole body also. You see, all you have to do is agree with the word and your whole body is going to turn around, glory to God. God's word that is conceived in your spirit, then formed by the tongue and spoken out of your own mouth, becomes a spiritual force releasing the ability of God within you. And that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. His heart or his spirit had received God's word. It was not Paul's ability that made him say that, but it was the ability of God formed in him by the word of God and out of the abundance of his heart. That's what his mouth spoke. Those that say they can and those that say they can't are both right. Words are the most powerful thing in the universe. Now, if you read in John chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have to learn to use our words more effectively. Now, the words you speak are either going to put you over or it's going to hold you in bondage. And today, there's a lot of Christians out there that have been taken captive 
by what they speak with their own mouth. And by the prayer of their own mouth, they have been set in a position where they can't receive from God. And we've all done it at one time or another. We've used our tongue to form the very words that defeated us. We have even prayed contrary to the word of God. We have prayed defeat and received it. We have prayed the problem and it became greater. Even prayer produces after its kind. The word says in Mark 11, 24, Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Jesus set forth this great truth about spiritual law. God's word is spiritual law. It functions just as sure as any natural law. Now, we've learned how to work with natural law in, in dealing with the natural law. Uh, let's take electricity. We, we've learned that if we work with that law by obeying and enforcing it, that electrical force will work for us. But if you violate that law that governs or controls electricity, you're going to get in trouble. But as long as we enforce the law that controls electrical forces, it'll produce energy to give us light. It'll heat our homes. It'll cook our meals. It'll wash our clothes. And yet, it won't harm us in any way. It's very useful and safe when we understand and apply the law by which it is controlled. However, that same force that cooks, cleans, does all of those things, that same force can burn you, kill you, and destroy if the law that governs electricity is not enforced. So are the words. Listen to me. So all the words that come forth out of your mouth, they will work for you to put you over in life if you control those words and bring them into obedience to spiritual law, which is the word of God. Words governed by spiritual law become spiritual forces working for you, and those outer words will work against you. The spirit world is controlled by the word of God. The natural world is to be controlled by man speaking God's word. Now, God's the, the spoken word of God is a creative power. Therefore, even the words of our prayers should be chosen very carefully and spoken accurately. We have often prayed, Lord, I have prayed and it's not working out. The devil has defeated me. But the word said, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Defeat's not what you desire, so don't pray it or say it. Now, you can see how the wrong choice of words can cause even your prayers to work against you. And you've prayed, Lord, I've got this problem and it's getting worse. That's not the way to speak. Let's compare this prayer with the word of God. First, you have prayed the problem and not the answer. The word said, pray the things you desire. You desire the answer, don't you? Secondly, you have released faith in the ability of the enemy. And to make it worse, you establish the words of the devil. That prayer doesn't work and things are getting worse. You're walking by sight. 
and not by faith. You're using your five senses to to declare what the word of God talks against. You have denied the word of God. You have done it because of the lack of knowledge. God said in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, My people are destroyed or cut off for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge has caused men to be destroyed in lives, to suffer needless loss. Now, spiritual law is for your good. It is to produce the things you need and desire. But speaking and praying contrary to the word of God or spiritual law will be just as disastrous as violating the law of electricity. We have prayed in all manner of prayer that the Bible doesn't teach. We prayed to Jesus, and that's unscriptural way to pray. Words are important, folks. Begin now to become word conscious. Words are like little seeds that produce after their kind. Learn to pray according to the word of God. God's word will produce after his kind, just like putting seed in the ground. Matthew 12 and 35, the good man out of his good treasure bringeth forth good things, and the evil man out of his evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Jesus said in John chapter 16, 23 and 24, and in that day you shall ask me no question. Barely, barely, I say unto you, if you shall ask anything of the Father, he will give it you in my name. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be made full, glory to God. Prayer is your legal right to use faith-filled words to bring God on the scene in your behalf, or for another that your joy may be full. It is the word abiding in you that causes faith to be present in your words. John 15, 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. Now notice it glorifies the Father when you get your prayer answered and your needs met. Verse 11 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Your joy can be full if the word of Mark 11 24 abide in you. Whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them. And faith will make your prayer work. Prayer won't work without faith. But faith will work without prayer. Prayer is one of the means of releasing faith. So if we will line ourselves up with the word of God and release our faith when we pray, we will see the power of God come alive in our lives. God's word is just as powerful today as it was the day he spoke it. Not one bit of power has left God's word. God's creative power is still in his word, just as it was when he stood there in the beginning of time. And then he said, light be. And what happened? Light was. Now, here's what I want you to see. You can speak God's words after him and they'll work for you. 
but they must be formed in your spirit. They have to become a part of you. They must abide in you continually. It says in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and earth. Well, what did he use to create the heavens and the earth? It says in Hebrews 11 and 3, By faith we understand that the worlds have been framed by the word of God, so that what is seen hath not been made out of things which appear. The world was not made out of things you could see. You can't see spoken words, nor can you see faith with the physical eye. The words that God spoke out of his mouth framed this universe, set it in motion, and it stands today in obedience to the words that God spoke back then. He said in Genesis 1 and 6, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. It came into being and divided the water from the land. And it's still divided from the land today. The universe, the whole universe is still obeying those words that he spoke many eons ago. That's the words that God spoke because God said it, didn't change it, it stayed. And he didn't back up and say, maybe it will, or I hope so. No. He said it by the words of his mouth and all hell stood up and took notice, glory to God. Now, it could be that many years took place between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when God created the earth, and verse 2, where he said the earth was void and without form. Because why would God create an earth without form or void? You see, what went wrong from the beginning was that Satan had come in to destroy the work of God on the earth. And now there was darkness on the face of the earth. What God do? Then he said, let there be light. It was the creative power that flowed out of God's mouth that turned the universe's light on. It caused every creation to come into being. And we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps upon the earth. Then God delegated that power to man to dominate this earth. He created Adam and he put that authority in Adam. And he said, now you dominate the earth, Adam. So here we got Adam. He was a ruler of the earth. He was a high potentate of the whole earth. And then what happened? And then that snake showed up in the garden. That snake said to Eve, you're not sure to die if you eat of that fruit. God knows you'll be like him if you eat of that fruit. You're going to be smart like God. And what happened? Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. And I guess he talked Adam into it because the word said First Timothy 2 and 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being much deceived has fallen into transgression. Well, in any case, Adam ate of the fruit, turned that power and authority over to the enemy. And then Satan became the god of this world. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, In whom? 
the God of this world hath blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should not dawn upon them. But glory to God, Jesus Christ came, and he took that power back for us. Jesus, God's word, came and took flesh upon himself. You ever wondered how he did that? How God did that? Because theologians say it can't be done. A virgin can't bear a child. It's impossible. Well, we got the word of God, which tells us in Mark chapter 10, and verse 27, Jesus looking upon them said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Whatever God says, he will perform. And if you'll notice, throughout the Bible, God never did do anything that he didn't say first. He said it, and then he did it. The power to do it was in the word. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. For no word from God shall be void of power. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews 1 and 3, he is upholding all things by the word of his power. He didn't say by the power of his word. It said by the word of his power. The Holy Spirit put that in that exactness the way he wanted. The word of his power. If he had said the power of his word, that would have meant that there was some power in God's word, but not all power. In other words, that's where his power is. It's in the word. In what he says and how he speaks it. It's not impossible for God to perform his every declaration. He can declare and do exactly what he says he's going to do. And we find that God created man with the ability to operate in that same kind of faith, glory to God. So control those words that come forth out of your mouth. Bring them into obedience to the word of God, which is God's spiritual law. Man was created in the image of God and his likeness. There was creative power that flowed out of the mouth of God, and you were created in the image of God. Then according to the scriptures and what Jesus said, you have the same ability dwelling or residing on the inside of you, Lord of God. Adam gave man's authority over to Satan. Jesus got that authority back because he was born of a virgin. And the way he was born of a virgin was the way that God created the universe. God said it's going to be done. Bless God, it was done. And there ain't nothing impossible for God to perform everything that he declares. When he found a woman who agreed with him, it's going to be done. Luke one thirty four said, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She didn't doubt it could be done. She just said, How? And he said, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Luke one thirty five. And then in verse 38, Mary said, be it unto me according to thy word. She agreed with the word of God. 
and establishing that fact upon the earth and it came into being. Now, is it so unreasonable to believe that that's what happened? God said in his word that we are, 1 Peter 1.23, having been begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides. The word of God implanted into your spirit calls you to become a new creation that never existed before. Born again of the spirit of a living God. The rebirth of the human spirit took place because the word of God lodged in your spirit. It caused you to act upon the word. And then what happened? You were born again. You became that new creation. You were once a sinner, but now you're born again. You're born into the righteousness of God, fully able to stand in the presence of the Father in holy boldness and say, Father, I come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, without fear of condemnation, because I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm no longer a poor sinner crawling around in the dust, begging and pleading, dear Lord, help me please, as some of these Christian songs say. No, we are the righteousness of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, glory to God. The word planted in your spirit calls you to become a new creation because the word of God declared it. Now, I want you to see how God caused a virgin to conceive and bear a child. The virgin said, be it unto me according to your word. And the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1 and 14. Now, the word was in the beginning with God, wasn't it? The word came unto Mary and said, it will be so. Mary said, I'm going to receive it. Be it unto me according to your word. She first received the word into her spirit or her heart, and then it was manifest in her physical body. The word of God was implanted into her womb. It was the embryo, the seed, and it took upon itself flesh. Just as the living word of God placed in your spirit took upon itself new creation of life, the word of God literally formed within her womb, and took flesh upon it. The word of God became alive, living, walking, and talking on this earth. And what did he come here for? He came here to destroy the work of the devil that was done in Adam. The work that was done in Adam was destroying the creation of God and the ability of God to work through man. But when Jesus came, he got that authority back, glory to God. And what did he do? He delegated it back to man, to the believer. Jesus stood on the mountain before he ascended and said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28 and 18. He had it all, every bit of it. Then he turned to the believers and said in Mark 16, 17 and 18, and these signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Jesus said this. He said, now you go in my name. 
You cast out them demons. You speak with new tongues. You lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now you can see God's power, God's authority delegated back to man. So man is not restored to his original state, which he was. In fact, he is in better shape than he has ever been, thank God. The born-again man is a joint heir with Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. If Jesus is the righteousness of God, then you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we need to quit praying and saying, Lord, I'm unworthy. Thank God. If Jesus is not unworthy, bless God, you're not unworthy. You have a right to stand in the throne room of God. We've been beaten down and the devil has just trampled us in the dust because of a sense of unworthiness. And I'll tell you, when this word gets in your spirit, you'll never be the same again. Lay hold on this word. Rise up and enter into it, glory to God. The enemy knows there's there's power. There's power in your words that you speak. And that's why he tries so desperately to get you to confess doubt, fear, and unbelief. You see, confessing that you are unworthy after being born again, that's contrary to the word of God. You are unworthy, but that old man died with Christ. You are now a new creation in Christ. Anyone in Christ cannot be unworthy. The word says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21, Wherefore, if any any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. But all things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not reckoning unto them their trespasses, and having committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are ambassadors, therefore, on behalf of Christ. As though God were entreating by us, we beseech you on behalf of Christ, be ye reconciled to God. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We need to be speaking faith-filled words. Now let's see what Jesus had to say about faith-filled words. I want you to see how he used his words and how they produced for him. In Mark 11, verses 11 through 14, says this, And he entered into Jerusalem, into the temple, and when he had looked around about upon all things, it being now eventide, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come out from Bethany, he hungered. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply, he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not, not the season of figs. And he said unto it, and he answered, and said unto it, No man eat fruit from thee henceforth forever. And his disciples heard him. Now Jesus had gone to the fig tree to get him some figs and didn't find none. And he said this, he said, No man eat fruit from thee henceforth forever. And he just walked off. And when he came back out of way the next day, verse 21 says the disciples called Jesus' attention to the fig tree. 
they said, and I'm going to paraphrase, the leaves are withered. That thing died from the roots. Jesus, did you notice that? That's the tree that you cursed. Well, I always wonder why Jesus cursed the fig tree. That word curse means that Jesus spoke negative to it. But I want you to notice the words that the Bible uses. It said he put a curse on the fig tree. Now, we as believers have put curses on people by the words of our mouth. I've heard people do that. Now, they're part of the problem. The words of their mouth worked against them. Instead of putting faith-filled words out there, they have been deceived by the evil and tear down what God was trying to build by the words of their own mouth. We need the God kind of faith. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus knew there was power in his words. When he spoke to that fig tree, what happened? It withered up and died. Now, notice in verse 22, he said, have faith in God or have the God kind of faith. Then in verse 23, Jesus stopped long enough to tell his disciples how the God kind of faith works. You and I need to know how it works. If you have faith in your heart, it's the God kind of faith. The Bible says in Romans 12 and 3, according as God hath dealt to each man a measure of faith, it is the God kind of faith. It is the same measure everybody got when they were born again. Problem is, somebody, somebody, uh, most of us haven't developed it. The word tells you how to develop your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 and 17. The literal Greek says, faith comes by report, that report comes from God. Hearing what God said is going to build faith inside you. Because he's able to perform every, his every declaration. Now Jesus tells you how to apply the God kind of faith and get it to work. Perhaps you tried it in all kinds of ways. You tried it by bombarding the gates of heaven, by just praying it over and over and over, and you found that didn't work. Well, let's see something that does work, and let's act on it. Here's what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three: For verily I say unto you that whosoever, that's all of us, shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He didn't say just the things you say to the mountain. He said those things which he saith, everything you say, you have to watch what you say. You have to believe that those things that you say, everything you say is going to come to pass. And that will activate the God kind of faith within you, and those things which you say will come to pass. He shall, he shall have. He didn't say he had it then, did he? He said he shall have whatsoever he said. And one of the translations says he shall have whatsoever he is saying. In other words, it shows he's continually saying that. The Bible says, let us hold fast the profession or confession of our faith. Hebrews 10.23. It didn't say hold fast to your prayer. When you hold fast to the prayer, you're holding fast to your problem. Because most of the time you prayed the problem. Turn loose of the problem. Get hold of your confession. Quit praying the problem. Start saying the answer. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed. 
You know, when you prayed, you said, Lord, the mountain's getting bigger. It's not getting any better. It's getting bigger, Lord. I prayed and it ain't working out. You were holding on to the problem. You hadn't got the answer yet. You're not there yet. You are still too involved with the problem before you. Folks, the answer is in the confession. The answer is in believing and confessing what the word says. The word says that it will be removed and cast into the sea. Bless God, that's what I'm going to be confessing. We should continually affirm and confess this. I thank God, though it looks like the mountain's getting bigger, in the name of Jesus, I see it removed by the eye of faith. By the eye of faith, I see it removed. That's creative power within you. Learn to use it wisely. When you continually affirm and confess, I thank God, though it looks like the mountains the, uh, or the problem is getting bigger, it's not. In the name of Jesus, I see it removed by the eye of faith. And somebody might say to you, only enough going to say that if the mountain's still there. If the trouble's still there and you know it's there, you can't deny its existence. Why, well, sure you can. You can speak against it. We don't deny the existence of the mountain. We deny the right of it to exist in my way. I don't see it as being in my way. I see it in the way the Word said. And that's out of my sight. It's gone. It's removed. The Word says the just shall live by faith, Hebrews 10 and 38, and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight, Second Corinthians 5 and 7. But a lot of Christians are walking by sight, not by faith. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say you're driving down the highway or in town at 60 miles per hour. Somebody pulls out, let's say, three blocks ahead of you. And they're right in the middle of the road crossways. And you slam your brakes on. We're talking three blocks ahead of you here. You slam your brakes on, there's a car right in the middle of the road. Then a car from behind hits you, and suddenly there's a 10-car pileup right behind you. And somebody's going to ask you, what's wrong with you? Why, there was a car in the road way up there. Well, it sure was, but it was doing 30 miles per hour, just two more seconds, and it would have been gone. How do you wait? What are you doing? Because you were born totally by what you saw. You observed what was there, and then you slammed on the brakes. And that's what a lot of Christian people are doing. Whew, it's still there. It's still there. That car still there. You have established it. But if you will confess its removal, praise God, when you get there, it's going to be gone. You see, if you drive your car the way you've been driving your spiritual life, how many times would you have wrecked that thing? Probably a dozen times or more. And you can see that. You don't pay any attention to the car out there three blocks up the road. The computer in your head is telling you he's going 30 miles per hour. In two more seconds, he'll be on the other side of the road. There ain't no danger. I'll just keep on going. And you sit there and you see that car. You never flinch. You never reach for the brakes. You just drive along perfectly at ease. Why? Because you have faith in what that guy's doing. You are actually believing something you're not seeing. You are believing the end results. Driving your car successfully is based on split-second timing. 
And now he may decide to just throw on his brakes right there and stop. That's when you would want to know what was wrong with him. Apply that when the storms of life uh, come against you. And the devil said, look here, you'll never be able to get over that. All you need to do is ignore him and say, thank God I believe the word, not you. I'll not be there when I get there. That circumstance ain't going to be there when I get there. It's going to be gone because God said. And that kind of faith will move mountains. You may get to the foot of the mountain sometimes before it moves. And it'll either move or there'll be a hole that comes in it. Bless God. But if you go to Mealy Mountain around and say, I believe it's getting slower. I don't believe it's going to leave. You're in trouble. Jesus told us to speak to that mountain. Say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Speak what you want done with it. Don't go to God and pray, dear God, it's getting worse. The Lord said, he said that you can have what you say. And you said it's getting worse. Well, that ought to tell you something. Jesus said the God kind of faith works by the words of your mouth. There is no release of the God kind of faith without the words of the mouth. It is released by the words of your mouth. In Luke chapter 17 and verses 5 and 6, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, increase our faith. Give us more faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root, and thou, be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Well, it was standing right there by that tree. It probably wasn't close to a mountain. He said that tree should obey you. He didn't say a word about increasing their faith. In other words, he said, you've got to learn to use what you got. He said, the way you use it is to start saying some things in faith. Speak it out of your mouth. Plant the seed. You know, a lot of people have desired healing. They want a harvest of healing and a harvest of physical needs met, but they have never planted a seed. The law of Genesis says everything produces after its own kind. You know, I could be the best rice farmer in the state of Arkansas. And I could sit in my house and say, praise God, I believe in rice. My grandfather believed in rice. My daddy believed in rice. My brother believes in rice. Everybody ought to have a field of rice. And I could have 10 tons of seed on my truck waiting to be planted if I just sit there and praise God because I believe in rice. And never act on what I know. To plant the seed, I'll never harvest a, a grain of rice. And there's a lot of Christians out there doing that. They're saying, I believe the Lord's able. Yes, brother, I believe he's able to heal me. Well, the devil knows that the Lord's able. That ain't a profound statement. What you have to determine is, will he? Word says he will. Then you must start agreeing with that. The word is what works. It's not our prayer that works. It's the word and faith that works. Prayer won't make faith work. We've often thought that if we just pray long enough, it'd soon work out. No, it won't. We need to get this straight now. Faith will make prayer work. 
but prayer won't make faith work. Faith will work without prayer. Prayer won't work without faith. Now, we have determined from the Word of God that you can have what you say. And not many people do because they've never controlled their words. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. I'm just telling you what he said. Now, I'm smart enough to believe that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Jesus made a profound statement that you can have what you say through the knowledge of God. Now, let's read Second Peter 1 and 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Well, how is grace and peace going to be multiplied to you? Well, that's through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Well, what's some of the knowledge of God? How his faith works. How does God's faith work? If you find how his faith works, you'll know how your faith is going to work. God never did anything without saying it first, and you hardly do either. How many of you have ever said, well, I'm going to go uptown. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. And most of the time, you always say it before you do it because you're programmed to operate that way. So if you don't say some things in faith concerning some of the things that you believe, you'll never operate in faith in those areas. The word says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 13, we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. And it says in 2 Peter 1 and 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. His divine power has given unto us all things, all things. How? Through the knowledge of God. Through the knowledge of God. And he's saying that if you get the knowledge of God, then you have the understanding of God, the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is the word of God. Then he said that he has given to you by his divine ability all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, if healing don't pertain to life, what does? Well, I'll tell you something else it does. Our provisions also pertain to life, our finances. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Having abundant supplies to God, to life and godliness, you ought to have abundance in the name of Jesus. Word says you can. And if you act on the word of faith, if you begin to do it, now it ain't going to happen overnight. That's the thing I want to bear hard on. It ain't going to happen overnight. It won't happen just because you say it one or two times. It is going to happen because you continually affirm what God's word says until it gets into your spirit and becomes a part of you. It says in James chapter 1 and verse 21, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. 
He said the word of God he grafted into your spirit will save your soul. The word of God he grafted in your spirit will deliver you from every circumstance of life. If you got the word for it, get it into your spirit because it'll deliver you. And if you will continue to believe and affirm that, I don't care how big the mountain looks. You ought not to be moved by what you see. You should only be motivated by what you believe. Because the word is the final authority. Partakers of the divine nature of God. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 it says, Whereby, or by this, by the divine ability of God, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Well, what nature is that? That's the divine nature of God. He said, you are partakers of God's nature. Praise God. Partakers of God's nature. Well, what kind of nature does God have? Righteousness. Righteousness, not unworthy nature. God doesn't have that. He is righteousness. And he said, you are partakers of the righteousness of God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. The very nature of God should dominate your spirit when you're born again. Now, it didn't say it automatically dominates your body. And that's where a lot of folks have it all squirreled up. When they were born again, they thought their body got saved. They thought their head got saved. And later they wanted to do some things that were wrong after they were born again. You know, the devil said, if you were saved, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't want to do that. You must not have received anything. That devil's a liar. You must not have been saved or you wouldn't have thought those bad thoughts. He's a liar. How many of you know I got news for you? Your head didn't get saved. Your body didn't get saved. Your spirit was born again. You were created the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus with God on the inside. Now he has to permeate outward. He has to come outward and the spirit man must bring the body into subjection to the spirit of God. You have to mortify the deeds of your body or the flesh. To hear God's word, the flesh has to be disciplined to the word of God. Your flesh doesn't always want to do the things your spirit would do. Galatians 5 and 17 says, For the flesh lusts after the spirit, or against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Sometimes your body will say, oh, I'd rather not. And the spirit man on the inside of you will say, get up, body. You're going anyway. You have to do that. Either your spirit or your body is going to dominate you. And when you're born again, your spirit is supposed to dominate the body. And if you'll notice the word supposed to, Sometimes your spirit doesn't dominate because you fail to act on what you know. The word said you are partakers of the divine nature of God. If you are partakers of the divine nature of God and God spoke and caused creation into me, what do you think is going to happen when you start saying some things in faith? God said you can have whatsoever you say. 
if you doubt not, believe in your heart the things that you're speaking. Then it says in the book of uh, James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and most is great thing. Behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Well, let me tell you in common words what he's saying. He said you could put bits in a horse's mouth and turn his whole body, and you can. He said a great big ship weighing hundreds of thousands of tons is turned to any direction by just a very small rudder on the back of it. And wherever the captain decides to turn it, it'll go there. He goes on and says, the tongue is a fire, world of iniquity. So is the tongue. So put among our members that it can defile the whole body and it setteth on fire the course of nature. Now the word says that the tongue can stop those natural forces. The tongue can destroy the very course of nature that causes you to be healthy. Guess what happens when you begin to say, I believe I'm going to come down with something. I'm coming down with something. Guess what? You probably will. I believe I'm taking a cold. Yeah, you'll get it. I've had some people say, I'm afraid I got cancer. I don't have any proof, but I just believe I got it. It says the tongue will set on fire the course of nature. It will destroy the life-giving flow in you that God put in you to heal you and to make you whole. Everyone has natural healing power within their bodies. And if you cut your finger, you don't have to be concerned about it. It knows how to heal itself. That healing power is in, within you. And if you go talking sickness and disease and defeat, you have released words that will produce after their kind. You can stop the natural healing power that God put in you by the words of your mouth. Many have stopped divine healing the same way by negative words. Verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and of birds and serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. Somebody might say, well, see, there ain't no use in trying. The Bible says you can't tame it. No man can tame the tongue. But the Amplified says... But the human tongue can be tamed by no man. It is an undisciplined and unreconcilable restless evil full of death bringing poison. And you know you've got that thing in your mouth. He said the tongue no man can tame. It is an unruly evil that's full of deadly poison. And it'll poison your body. It'll poison your spirit. It'll poison your life. Or 
It'll put you over in life if used correctly. It'll build life and health into the spirit, soul, and body. He said, no man can tame it. But what? Praise God, the Holy Spirit can. Glory be to God. The Holy Spirit can tame it. And it, all you have to do is grab a hold of it and start confessing it. In Jesus' name. Well, folks, I'm out of time. I hope we get to do some more of this uh, next week. God bless you. And we'll see you next week, God willing. My thirsting soul, pure as water, made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.